ladies and gents, it's that time of the week again. It's episode 13 of the Empowered Women's Podcast and you're with yours truly, Amanda Mikulov. Now on this week's show, I do have a guest all the way from Melbourne. So her name is Amanda Robbins. Uh, Amanda, welcome. Hi, thanks. Uh, It's good to be here on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Talking about narcissism <laughs> and um, how to recover. Yeah, awesome. And thank you for your commitment on a Sunday. Um, but I, I managed to find you online and I like the fact that you niche, like you niche so like deep into, you know, daughters specifically of mothers. So tell us about yourself. Tell us about your journey. Um, why are you attracted to that part of narcissism? Uh, well, uh, number one, I suppose my main interest is because that's my background. Um, I was raised by a mother who was narcissistic. Um, she was never diagnosed. I spent a long time trying to work out, um, you know, what, what was actually wrong with her once I sort of came to the conclusion that there was something wrong with her. And Mm. I um, thought maybe she had BPD because it did look a bit like that, but then I sort of recognised perhaps that it was more covert narcissism. But anyway, look, most of my life has been as a visual artist. I still maintain a painting practice. Mm. And then I was employed as an academic teaching visual art at universities. Yeah. Um, And then I sort of had a bit of a um, career kind of, um, I don't know what you call it, Um, yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a um, fall from grace, I guess. I I was in a three year contract, um, and then I I guess it you know the, the the role didn't continue, and I wasn't offered anything else. And then I reapplied for a lot of roles similar, um, mm. but uh, I guess the nature of academia was changing and universities are very difficult places to um, to get into. But anyway, look, I'd always wanted to um, to work with young people. That was my initial impetus. Mm. And I started having my own therapy um, in Melbourne. I moved back to Melbourne from interstate. I, I was born here, but um, I was living interstate to do the role that I was in. Yep. Um, and I did have some funds behind me, so I was able to um, sustain myself while I was having therapy and retraining in social work. So mm. I just thought that social work was the quickest way to get to what I wanted to do, which was um, one-on-one therapy. So, yeah, I kind of um, I started out. Uh, wanting to work with young people, but then sort of realised that I was interested in um, working with all kinds of people who had an experience of narcissism. And then I kind of realised that the best way for me to help people and use my own experiences Mm -hmm. was to work with um, daughters of uh, narcissistic mothers. And unfortunately... Um, I guess it's good for my business, but unfortunately there are a lot of people out there who mm. are impacted by that. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So your childhood growing up, um, do you mm-hmm. want to tell us a bit about that? Like what was your experience with your mum like? Um, look, she was um, 
she was more the kind of enmeshing sort of covert narcissist rather than the ignoring one because there's a few different types. But, um, yeah, look, she kind of um, uh, I, her sense of self was so badly um, damaged, mm. I guess, by the way she'd been parented that she needed someone else or other people in general to prop her up and I was one of those people um, mm. that that she needed. Um, and so, uh, you know, I mean, it's a bit, um, in some ways I, I, I feel sorry for the situation that she was in. She never had the opportunity to have therapy as I have. Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm a saint or that I've ever kind of, I've perfected myself. It's an ongoing process, but mm-hmm. she didn't have any of those opportunities, and she was very. Um, I think she was emotionally abused by her family. But anyway, okay. um, yeah. Look, I I felt like I was just there as a prop for her. Uh, I wouldn't have framed it that way when I was young. Mm. Obviously, now that I've had so much learning and and been through a lot of therapy like I had nine and a half years which is a lot of therapy wow. once, once a week yeah sometimes yeah. twice a week yeah um so uh I kind of I guess I've I've sort of you know come to terms with it um and recognize sort of um traits in me I suppose that that perhaps were like my mother um that I wanted you know, to um, get rid of um, or to kind of see my way through to making different choices. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what therapy is about. It's giving you more choices so you don't sort of behave um, on the basis of th- fear or, you know, your internal promptings so much. You kind of just learn to sort of take a moratorium mm. and sort of think about what you're doing and try and process your emotions more and make more deliberate choices um yeah. i'm not saying you shouldn't ever follow your intuition but people who've had childhood trauma often are prompted by a you know a fight flight um fear mm. sort of submit freeze kind of response so you know a trauma response so that you know that may be the way that you want to go i mean if you see a really big spider sort of near your pillow when you're in bed then running away is probably exactly the best response but if you're with your partner yep. and you're having a discussion or even a fight running away may not be the best um, response uh, you want to be able to repair to talk about things talk things through mm. and for people who have suffered trauma they're often not really equipped they get too aroused their heart rate goes up, they kind of just start responding as if it's their abusive parents sort of coming at them. Yeah. So could you give us maybe some situations around what happened with your mum growing up? So a little bit more context about where you felt like you were a prop? Um, Yeah, look, I think when my um, father died, um, I, I feel like you know, I was there to provide her with um, sort of, uh, um, uh, I guess, um, a way of talking about her emotions. She wanted to talk to me as if I was a partner. Mm. She would take me away on trips, which, you know, I, it was a very privileged sort of position for a young girl to be in, I guess. Mm. But 
there was always a cost to it and that was to be there for her rather than um, necessarily kind of her taking my pathway in life. Yeah, yeah. Did you yeah. ever feel supported emotionally? Uh, not really. Um, yeah. I I mean, really, in the, in the end, I felt like I was incredibly weak and there was something wrong with me, I suppose, mm. um, and that, you know, there was a reason why all these things were happening to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I recognise, of course, that I have been incredibly privileged. I mean, nine and a half years of therapy, only, you know, 10% of the population could ever afford that length of time in therapy because it's expensive and yeah. it also takes time out from earning a living. Um, you know, just committing to that level of work is, is pretty tough for yeah. a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And amazing so, how long it's taken. Two, nine years is a long <laughs> time. But I think... A message yeah. to anybody listening too, like it can be that it can take that long to get over trauma um, and to really apply yourself through understanding. Um, if I look at my own personal development journey and my own sort of dealings with my own parents, I had a narcissistic father and an empath mm. for a mum who I feel mm. in time became a narcissist herself in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's yeah. a good question because we're going to run a Q&A later um, a yep. couple of key questions, which I'm really interested to hear the answer to because I feel like I could relate to it as well. Mm. Um, when there's multiple siblings in the family, you know, um, anyway, mm. I don't want to spoil it, but mm. stay tuned, everyone, because we are definitely going to touch on that. Sure. Um, yeah, but, great. like, I'm, I'm 36 now and I think how, you know, my journey to, to healing – I think it's took me a good 16 years, 17 years of understanding and I think only in the last sort of few months I've really deep-dived into narcissism. So mm. it's really, really interesting, really interesting stuff. Um, mm. What about your father? Like where's your father, in, where's your father in all of this? I mean he died some many years ago, did he? Yeah, yeah, he died quite young. Yeah. So I was um 17. So mm. um yeah, look he was pretty much absent. Um he had a bit of a temper. Yep. Um so um we used to sort of be afraid of his moods. Um I wouldn't say he was narcissistic, but he wasn't a very hands-on father and he wasn't really there for us um and he didn't really do much to ameliorate the effect that our mother had on us. So um, yeah, mum was very, very, um, I don't know, she'd very, she'd play us against one another, which I've since found out is, is typical of most narcissistic parents. So they, you know, they either choose one child to be the favoured one or they <clears throat> kind of just uh, ferment kind of competition between the siblings uh, for their um, affection and attention. So Mm. siblings never get the experience of of supporting one another. So, you know, even as an adult, um, they can be really resentful of each other. Yeah, right. Okay. So have you got siblings yourself? Uh, Yeah, I've got two sisters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, So your mum, is she still around? No, no. She's passed on? Yeah. She had dementia for many years, so um, it wasn't really possible, even if I'd wanted to reconcile or confront her, if Mm. if that's the word, um, it wouldn't have been possible. And in the end, I 
I wouldn't have wanted to because, you know, she's she was an old woman and mm. I didn't see, see the point. It wouldn't have helped me and it certainly wouldn't have helped her. Did you have to learn how to forgive the situation by allowing yourself because I mean forgiveness is not necessarily forgiving that person it's no, forgiving yourself yeah. so did you have to kind of learn that sort of the long way or the hard way into that journey yeah I think it's hard um yeah I felt often felt like I was to blame and you know deep down I suppose I had a very strong um sense of worthlessness um so I did blame myself for my trauma symptoms and a lot of people who've been through similar experiences do blame themselves for their trauma symptoms. Um, yeah, look, I think forgiving yourself, um, you know, that's a big step for trauma survivors. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And just recognising that, that that that's what it was, that it was trauma and yeah. that you didn't create the situation. Yeah, but of course, doesn't that doesn't spare you from the work of having to sort of change the way you are? So mm. you know, as unfair as that is, that's just how to move forward uh, if you want to move forward. Yeah. yeah. So, what are some of the signs that people can look out for with narcissistic mothers? Oh, um, yeah. Look, I think that. Uh, um, narcissistic mothers, they're very much like my mother was very much focused on appearances. So she didn't like me, you know, once I'd reached adolescence, she didn't like me going out without lipstick and, you know, with my hair and clothes looking a certain way. Um, she was always focused on my weight. Mm. Um, she was very uh, focused on how other people perceived us, including me. Um, and, of course, the other members of the family. Um, but, you know, I guess because I was the youngest, um, there was a lot of focus on me. Um, so I had to um, perform in a certain way, um, look a certain way, have the right sort of, you know, uh, go out with the right boys, have a boyfriend, um, have the right friends, um, all of that kind of thing. Um, I think was important to her and, and getting social feedback that, that told her that she was a good parent or that, you know, we were, as a family, we were doing well. And I thought that, um, you know, most of it was a lie. I suppose for a lot of people who've grown up in narcissistic families, there's a huge sort of um, impetus to truth-telling mm. because I think narcissistic families are big on, on lies, maybe small mm. or sometimes big, but they're kind of just presenting this really false front, whereas underneath, you know, um, the ones who escape see see the reality of, of the pain and torment that is going on under the surface. Yeah, I think um, like I'm a middle child, so I'm one of three. Mm. And mm. I was probably that child that broke away, definitely, mm. and saw the situation for what it was. And mm. it's funny because once I broke away from that whole dynamic, like I don't talk to my whole immediate family now, um, mm. it's funny how other family members who reached out, it's how honest they were about what they really thought about my father or my mum or my sister, mm. for example, um, and how they go, I guess they were praising my efforts as an individual to remain true to who I was. Mm. And, you know, mm -hmm. and, and they would say, you know, well, 
your father was, this is what we really think or this is how we've always seen it, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, f- I commend anyone that has the capacity to sort of pull themselves away from a toxic situation. It's not easy because no. you lose your – you lose kind of what you know. You lose your roots yeah. in a way. And mm. then there's true strength to be built upon building your own roots and when um, – when you can give yourself permission to move on in life, uh, there's there's lots of growth in being able to pull away from a toxic family and then going on to achieve good things in life. Um, mm. And what sort of now feels like home is is very internal. It's no longer, well, you know, I'm homesick, for example. Like I've just uprooted from Melbourne late last year and I'm now mm. on the Gold Coast. So I mm-hmm. lived in Melbourne for 35 years in the Western Suburbs. So you're in Fitzroy, aren't you? Uh, I live in East Brunswick, but yeah, yeah. it's close to Fitzroy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I hung around the northern suburbs for many years growing up. Um, yeah, but it, mm. it is amazing that when you pull yourself away from the situation and then you relearn and re-establish what your grassroots actually means, and it's mm. very much that rediscovery of yourself away mm. from everything you've learned as a child growing up. Um, Mm. All right, cool, cool. So I reckon we'll dive into these questions, Amanda. Okay. Um, So we've got question number one. We keep it all anonymous as well. The first Mm -hmm. question is, my mother told me I was possessed by the devil when I divorced. How do I not feel bad to pulling away from her? Um, Well, that's a pretty extreme statement, uh, possessed by the devil. Um, I'm not sure of the context or whether this person is like a – part of a um or was part of some sort of pentecostal cult or anything but um look uh i think mothers who are narcissistic will say extreme things to get you to do what they want you to do yeah and i i think it's okay to kind of just pursue your own interests um and to make your own mistakes even take your own risks and i i don't think that um, you know, mothers should be able to control a daughter in, in that sense. So, but I think that it is accompanied by guilt uh, because they've trained you to feel guilty when you do your own thing and pursue your own interests and become an autonomous person. So, yeah. you know, I think you just have to live with the guilt for a while and then maybe it'll get smaller and smaller and you'll be able to just live your own life without worrying about her. Mm. But I think at the start it is quite hard because, you know, she is your mother, this is your family, and Mm. you don't want to go against them. Um, And I think culturally for some people it's even stronger. Um, I guess there there are some cultures where you, you know, going against your parents is is definitely frowned upon, perhaps less so in Anglo-Saxon cultures. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I've got a European background and it's, um, mm. you know, family is everything in, in our culture. Yeah. So yeah. for me to walk away from my family, for example, it was um, it, w- it took mm. a number of years to, to come to terms with the truth of where our relationship was really at. Um, yeah. But in the end, it just kind of really severed um, pretty, pretty quick in a way, it felt like, or just cold. It was very cold the way it all ended. Um, but mm. it was a, a build-up of years of, I guess, bullshit, if you like. So, yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Question number two, mm-hmm. if my mum is a narc, does that mean I am a narc too? Uh, no, not necessarily. I mean, I do get this question a lot, actually, so it's a good one. Mm. Um, yeah, look, I think 
that um, parents who are narcissistic do often create other narcissists um, by traumatizing young, you know, uh, the child in infancy and early childhood, and then they develop defenses, which are what we um, see as narcissism. So they develop these traits um, uh, of of narcissism um, and narcissistic behaviour that um, help them cover over their trauma. Um, but look, I think that uh, the odds are you probably won't, but uh, it would depend on how severe their narcissism is. And probably if you're asking the question, it means that you might not be narcissistic. Usually people who are narcissistic don't recognise that they are. Occasionally mm. they do. Yeah. But um, as soon as you, you know, go in and and seek help for you know, narcissistic traits, if that's what's happening, um, then I think that, you know, you're on the journey to recovery and um, hopefully you stick at it. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't have to be um, inevitable yeah. by no means. Yeah. Don't narcissists normally don't want help? Are they normally the ones to shy away from counselling of any Yeah, sport? often they will because they don't like being vulnerable, mm. um, for sure. I mean, occasionally... Um, in my practice, I have uh, worked with some people who are narcissistic. Can be quite hard. Um, the trick is to keep them in therapy long enough to make changes, mm. and for them to feel safe being vulnerable. Um, often, they don't like being confronted. Um, so, you know, for example, if they said something nasty about their ex-partner, um, which you know. Obviously, I I don't meet everyone's partner when I'm in therapy with an individual. But mm. uh, if there's a certain amount of, you know, vitriol attached to it, maybe I'll point it out. And then sometimes uh, I'll get a flash of of rage from from someone who's who said that. And when I think it's it could be unjustified, and then they kind of close off to me uh, in a way and you know that 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 is a sign of of quite a lot of emotion under the surface like yeah. a lot of unprocessed emotion and and unconscious materials so and these you know, are that, the people that come into your practice yeah look i i actually i have worked with a few because of the niche that I'm in. Yes, I have worked with a few people who are narcissistic. Yeah. Um, but often they will leave because, and they'll blame me or someone else for leaving. Usually me, mm. um, <laughs> because <laughs> you know I've confronted yeah. them too early. It's a very yeah. fine tightrope. And if they leave therapy, then they're not. You know, the relationship is over, and you can't help them. So yeah. You have to be quite patient. Um, mm. It is. It can be hard work because often I'll feel like they either take over the therapy and nothing I say gets in mm. or they'll tell me all the things I'm doing wrong or they'll just act as though nothing at all is wrong and I'm starting to wonder why they're actually in therapy. So, so do you feel like you're being <laughs> gaslighted inside your own <laughs> your own practice sometimes yeah sometimes yeah, yeah I do yeah yeah it can be hard to kind of just gently point something out mm. that you know um 
is going against what they're saying. I think that that's, you know, one of the hardest things to do with a narcissistic person. And not all narcissists mm. are some, are, you know, you can't always pick it. Sometimes covert narcissists are very, uh, char- you know, they can be charming. quite self-effacing, charming, mm. um, quite knowledgeable, quite sensitive in some ways. Mm. Um, so yeah. it doesn't always stand out at the beginning but you know I've reached the point where I suppose I've got a bit of a spider sense to it and um, I can kind of feel uh, my intuition sort of says things to me Mm. but you know I can having said that I can be wrong at times but um, you know I think I I think that there are people who are narcissistic out there who can change, who have the capacity to change mm. and to heal. It's just getting them into therapy with a therapist who can work with them. Yeah, Not all therapists want to do it and I can understand that because it is hard work. How do you so, feel yeah. in the session when you know you're dealing with a narcissist? How does your body respond? Um, oh, yeah, look, I, I feel like... Um, there is the potential for it to be triggering or for really um, strong emotions to be um, to come to this fore in me. But because of, I mean, the whole point of, you know, training to be a therapist and, and doing the therapy that I've done is for my own emotions to not get in the way of doing the work. Mm. But that doesn't mean that they don't exist. So usually if there's... I. If I'm feeling something strong, then that often means that I'm in the presence of a personality disorder and sometimes that'll be a narcissist. Mm. Um, I tend to enjoy working with people with borderline personality disorder, Um, Mm -hmm. but um, people who are narcissistic are uh, are certainly challenging. Um, People with borderline personality disorder can also be challenging. But, yeah... um, can people with um, B, uh, BPD, can they yep. take accountability for anything they do? Yeah, I, I'm sure that they can. Um, yeah, I I think um, I think the personality, you know, people with a personality disorder are carrying a lot of unconscious material around with them. So yep. it's very, very hard for them to actually look at that because – you know, uh, the nature of trauma is, is quite overwhelming. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I hesitate. Like people, there is, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of people out there who think that people with BPD are manipulative, but I don't see it that way. I think that they can't help the way they are. Yeah. And that often their behaviour will seem manipulative to those around them. But it's really just trauma responses um and i i hope that you know people can see that um and uh you know and the same for narcissists i guess but their i guess their behavior is a little more difficult uh, well not that people with bpd aren't difficult but um people with narcissism tend to be more stable in a way right okay. uh, and yeah. they can be more successful in in their careers, whereas people with BPD often do have trouble sustaining a career mm. or getting into positions where they're 
in power. So whereas narcissists will generally be attracted to those kinds of positions. Well, narcissists are good at wearing masks, obviously, whereas um, yeah, people with yeah, borderline true. personality disorder, I mean, what's the, besides the obvious, what is the defining difference between the two? Yeah, that's a good question. Sometimes they can look similar. Um, the, the major similarity would be that they both have um, problems with their sense of self. But um, in terms of the differences, uh, I guess the main one is that people with BPD are very, very relationship focused. Mm -hmm. So to them, relationships are important to their sense of self and they often will... Um, their attachment system is easy to activate and becomes very, very uh, dominant in their thinking around relationships. And obviously they'll have a anxious, ambivalent sense of attachment or even a disorganised attachment style. But um, yeah. whereas narcissists can take or leave relationships often, um, they're more interested in what you can do for them in terms of your ability to supply them with narcissistic supplies gotcha. and that can be admiration and affection and love mm. but um people with bpd won't be quite so um focused on on those kinds of issues even though they do want love um they you know they're more interested in relationships and and narcissists will tend to walk away when you're not giving them what they want whereas a someone with BPD will do everything in their power to try and keep you, even though gotcha. they're also exhibiting behaviour that's hard to, for other people to tolerate and will drive people away. They don't right. mean to. And yeah, okay. So they're like more clingy. They like to keep the relationship going. Yeah, clingy. they're a bit more clingy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right, awesome. All right. Well, that was good. That was nice and in-depth. Um, the next question is, is it common for a mother to be empathetic to some of her children and narcissistic to others? So this is the answer that I wanted to hear as well. Yeah, that's a hard one, isn't it? Mm. Um, well, my experience with narcissistic mothers is that they don't have much empathy. Um, so narcissists in general, there has been some research and they've discovered that narcissists can do have the capacity to experience empathy, but it's blocked by their trauma. So in general, they tend not to be empathetic, um, but occasionally they will be empathetic. Um, I wouldn't say that they're, you know, empathetic to one child over the other, but they generally do tend, you know, there is the potential for them to choose one child over the other in order to uh, identify with that child and to, in a sense, use that child for their own gains, whatever those gains might be, like feeling better about themselves, having someone to look after them when they're old, uh, having a companion, someone to talk to, someone to look up to them, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so I, I think that um, narcissists, can be can be at times strategic, but I I think there is a lot of unconscious stuff going on with narcissists, and often parents who are narcissists will just have this unconscious desire to identify with one child over the other, and so that child will become perhaps the golden child, as we call it. Yeah, will 
perhaps themselves develop narcissism because they will be the ones who become more a container for the the narcissist's uh, original trauma and and so they'll be some more severely wounded um although obviously if you're in that family and you're mm. one of the people who are the scapegoat or or a lost child or something it it doesn't feel like that but believe me i it is much worse to be a golden child in many ways because you're even though you receive all those uh you know that attention yeah. uh, the attention isn't necessarily good and it mm. isn't based on who you are as a person it's more based on your achievements and your ability to supply the narcissist with what they need and want uh so yeah i i think that narcissists have a very limited capacity to experience empathy for their children yeah um, but there may be some children who are closer to the narcissist and maybe there are some things that might appear empathetic when actually they're not yeah does birth order matter with how uh, each child may be treated i'm not sure i'm big on birth order but um mm. it does like birth order is one of the factors in that it all depends on what's happening for the parent at that time and i think that a lot of things can go on in the parent's mind uh even prior to the child being born so i think parents parent differently according to the circumstances that they're in they mm. might be more stressed yep. at a certain time a first child obviously parents are much more anxious at that time mm. but uh there might be other things going on that that make the parent more anxious or less anxious like i don't know job loss or their partner being supportive more or less or other people in in the family that are providing support you know it's all it all kind of affects the way the parent can parent at that particular time yeah yeah so birth order is a part of that i guess Yeah. and i think you know obviously if you're first born then the other children coming into the play uh that you know sibling rivalry will come into that and and narcissists can tend to um exacerbate sibling rivalry because it's in their interest for the children to uh compete with one another for their attention and affection so that's another issue uh, that affects so a parent um, will deliberately play off the children against each other so that the parent gets more attention or they they see the kids fighting for the parent's attention is that what you're saying yeah i don't i don't know whether you would call it deliberate but they do do it mm. um it's kind of an unconscious drive i suppose yeah. to okay. for them to get more out of their relationships with the children and so dividing and conquering i suppose is part of that mm. um it may you know it's not they don't actually choose to do it but it's just just something that happens when narcissistic parents have more than one child mm okay now if people wanted to reach out to you amanda and have a chat with you or even maybe an initial consult what's the process around that uh well um they can contact me via email um on my website 
um, they can set up a, a free 15-minute discovery call yep. for my recovery coaching package if you want to go that. They can download my um, book, um, free ebook for daughters of narcissistic mothers um and i'm in the also in the process of developing a course for daughters of narcissistic mothers yep, yep. um so re- that around e-book. recovering your essential self so sorry that ebook um yep. tell us a little bit about what what's in that book uh yeah look it's um it's all about sort of my story uh there's some about my story and there's some things about how to recognize a narcissistic mother, which I think is important. Um, there's also a section on uh, how to recover, your, the, the steps that you need to recover, like having healthy relationships, red flags in, in your relationship to, to try and discover whether the person you're interested in is a narcissist. Um, oh, yeah. also, uh, different things that might make your relationships better, how to, uh, kind of develop boundaries, how to have better communication skills, how to develop self-compassion, all of those kinds of things to work on, on yourself and, and to become a happier, more joyful person, uh, alongside yep. the, your experience of trauma. Beautiful. Okay. And your website is amandarobbinspsychotherapy.com.au? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You've got it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I'll pop that in the show notes below, guys, if you wanted to check that out. Um, Amanda, I think we'll leave it there for today. That was really good. Thank you. That's all right. Anytime. I've enjoyed it. Uh, It was great talking to you and I hope uh, your listeners got something out of it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Guys, I'd love your feedback on this one. If you you found it very relatable, you know what to do. Just reach out to me on Instagram. Give us your feedback and feel free to reach out to Amanda as well. She's offering a 15-minute discovery call. Uh, You did say it was free, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's a Zoom discovery call, yeah. Beautiful. All right, yeah. cool. Well, um, guys, you know what to do. Reach out on the – we've got different platforms. You can listen to the podcast on Google, Spotify, as well as iTunes. Um, leave a review if you feel like it's worth your time and energy. Amanda, I just wanted to say thank you so much for jumping on today. Um, until next time, we'll catch you all soon. Thanks, Amanda. No okay, problem. Bye-bye. Oh, 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 oh,